Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Uh, I do think he's been held accountable for I think the organization has been held accountable for and I think we did an unprecedented fine. Uh, Dan Snyder has not been involved with the organization for now almost four months. Uh, uh, and uh, we obviously are focused more on making sure that the policies that they had, some of many which they put into place prior to this investigation, but also uh, coming out of it, were put into place and that they will be maintained and that we can ensure that that will happen in this organization. There it is, Mike. <clears throat> Michael Smith, there it is. There's, there's the face of it. That's what it looks like. That's what it sounds like. You know, I told you before, my wife loves old movies. Uh, she loves movies in general, but specifically old movies. I sit there and watch them, and I've gotten, I've gotten caught up off of her movie interest, her movie passion. There's an old movie called Gaslight. You know where I'm going with this. Uh, where a woman is driven crazy by her trifling husband, who's doing some trifling things, but he's trying to make her think, oh, this is not happening. That's on you. I'm not doing anything. And, he's, and, and she does. She, she loses it. Gaslight. Roger Goodell, stop gaslighting us. Stop gaslighting us real football fans. And even if you're not a football fan, if you just understand how corporate, the worst of corporate America, how it operates, you see what's happening with Roger Goodell. Mike, tell me, how Daniel Snyder has been held accountable for the worst atmosphere in North American sports, bar none, with the Washington football team, where people are spying on the cheerleaders. They are uh, telling employees they can't make eye to- contact with them. It is toxic. It is sexist. Uh, it is misogynistic. It is so many things. And I haven't even gotten to on the field. He's held accountable because... The NFL told him that he's got to step aside and work on a new stadium as his wife runs the franchise, as he goes away and doesn't pay attention to the day-to-day operation of the Washington football team. How has he been held accountable when there are 650,000? Right, there it, it, it ain't even a stop on the wrist. It ain't even that. It ain't that. Mike. There are 650,000 emails, and what we've gleaned from those 650,000 emails is that John Gruden is a bad boy. He doesn't work for them. (laughs) He didn't work for the Washington football team. So that's who's been held accountable, John Gruden, not Daniel Snyder. I just can't believe that we we have to sit up here and endure Roger Goodell just lying to us. That's the Here's thing, some more. Buddy. Here's some more. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. That we have to sit up here and endure it. That's a choice. See, I, I was thinking as I listened to the empty suit that is Roger Goodell give empty remarks regarding <laughs> so-called investigations 
into, as you rightfully called it, the most protected franchise in the NFL. And day after day, that statement on your part just continues to be proved more and more true with every story, with every comment, with every step of the cover-up, okay? Roger Goodell is the epitome of the empty suit. So I'd expect nothing but emptiness from his remarks, and that's what he's given us over the course of his entire tenure. The next time Roger Goodell actually says something of substance at a press conference will be the first time. So if he's asked an open-ended question, well, actually not an open-ended question, a very closed question. It was a neutral question, I should say. Do you think Daniel Snyder was held accountable? Did you expect anything different from him? Because, of course, they believe that a $10 million fine for a billionaire and letting his wife run the team (laughs) is holding him accountable. Of course they do. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. But it's not even Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell has paid millions of dollars a year to sit up there and feed us BS and to take our bullets for his bosses. Roger Goodell's not going to punish his boss. It's got to be on his boss, in this case, Daniel Snyder, his boss's peers applying pressure, which was, that was just so cool about Mark Davis saying, yeah, probably. Those, those, those emails should be released. I'd like to see them released, especially since it cost me my head coach. You know, I mean, and, and listen, right. if ever an entitled owner actually had the right to be entitled, and you know, neither That's one it. of us has defended anything as it relates to John Gruden. I am not sympathetic toward John Gruden whatsoever, but he's got a point. Mark Davis has got a point, always has. Mark Davis is absolutely right. Two things can be true at the same time. You can recognize that your coach was a pig and at the same time recognize that my coach right. shouldn't be the one taking the fall for an investigation into that toxic work, work environment. Okay, especially when my coach's contribution to that toxic work environment took place when he wasn't my coach. <laughs> so from that perspective, yeah, Mark Davis, I, I'm surprised he didn't go harder in the paint. Jerry Jones was like, of course we're satisfied. We're definitely satisfied with how the Washington football team investigation was handled. Yeah, because peas in a pod. Yeah. Because birds of a feather flock together. Exactly. Because the good old boys network is going to protect its own because all of y'all got skeletons in y'all closet. So Roger Goodell is not the target here. And as a matter of fact, Michael, Daniel Snyder is not the target here. The target here Who's needs target? to be the NFL. This is not accountability for Washington. Washington, the football team, Daniel Snyder, these owners in particular, these governors, chairpersons, whatever you want to call them, they're never going to be held accountable until we collectively, the people who tune in every Sunday faithfully at 1 o'clock or 9.30 as the case may be, or 425 Eastern or 8 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, on Monday, on Thursday, on Saturday. Thursday. Somebody say Thursday. Right. Somebody say Thursday. As long as we continue to allow the NFL to slide by continuing to put our money and our interests into their collective pockets, then they're never going to be held accountable. The NFL has never had credibility. When does the NFL have that credibility? That's why I don't, I don't take anything they say seriously. Because Roger Goodell gets up there and says, yeah, we want to protect the, the victims from transpar- uh, in, in, in the form of transparency. We want to keep them anonymous. As, as those victims as they're walking tell around. you from their own mouths, walk- we don't need transparency right. here. Got- hey, yeah, yeah, no, right. that's not what we want. We don't need you to speak for us. That's and right. the last thing I'll say, Michael, before passing it back to you is this. How are we to, like, do you remember... And, and, and this was posted earlier. 
Do you, uh, you've seen the, um, the summary of the findings um, as it relates to mm-hmm. uh, Beth Wilkerson's investigation, correct? Beth Wilkerson's investigation? Right. That, no. This is what it said. We've, Based we've, on no, Wilkerson's we've, review. We've heard. We've, we've heard the well, summary. Here it they, is. She didn't have a written here. report? No, but. Well, right. No, that, but a summary of it, which, which sounds. This, this is very Bill Barr esque. Yeah. It's very Bill Barr esque. This is this is yeah. Mueller report, Bill Barr esque. Okay, here's here, all you need is a summary. You don't need yeah. the whole report, just a summary. Okay, but here, here it is. Okay, this is Jan- July first. Now, bring from Pro Football Talk. Based on Wilkinson's review, the commissioner concluded that for many years, the workplace environment at the Washington Football Team, both generally and particularly for women, was highly unprofessional. Bullying and intimidation frequently took place. And many describe the culture as one of fear and numerous female employees reported having experienced sexual harassment and a general lack of respect in the workplace. Ownership and senior management paid little or no attention to these issues. In some instances, senior executives engaged in inappropriate conduct themselves, including use of demeaning language and public embarrassment. This set the tone for the organization led to key executives believing that disrespectful behavior and more serious misconduct was acceptable to the workplace. The problems were compounded by inadequate HR staff and practices and the absence of an effectively and consistently administered process for reporting or addressing employee complaints, as well as a widely reported fear of retaliation. When reports were made, they were generally not investigated and led to no meaningful discipline or other response. And he got a $10 million fine and his wife runs the team. Right. Just like the lack of specificity in that summary of findings screams for transparency. Like how are we to conclude that you actually conducted a thorough investigation and levied an appropriate punishment. If you don't get a lot of you don't share the specifics behind these generally frightening findings, these appalling findings. We're supposed to take your word for it. If you are taking the NFL's word for anything, I got a bridge in Brooklyn for sale. Mike, that's why I said last week, I'm going to continue to say this. The real NFL is in those 650,000 emails. That's where the, that's where the real more. league resides. That's where this, that's where the secret. Cause remember we reside. talked about this. Hey, Remember, we talked about this yeah. with, with, with Charles. Yeah. We ain't even got into the texts. That's just the emails. Right. So $650,000 emails, and, excuse me, Charles and, more, and the texts. Yeah. Any yeah, investigation, the, the real text, stuff is in the texts. Text. So you're right. Worse. And then there's more. Yes. 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 He said the texts are always worse than the emails. Um, mm-hmm. But if, you, if you're allowing yourself, if you're allowing yourself to say, to, to co-sign on Daniel Snyder, that tells me, one of two things. It's probably more than that, but I'm going to reduce it. I'm going to just break it down to two things. It tells me one of two things. Either you're unaware, you're just generally unaware, to use another legal term, generally unaware of, of things that are happening, or two, you're complicit in those things. As simple as that. If you think Daniel Snyder has been held accountable based on the summary, like the summary is not even the good stuff. Beth Wilkinson found so much junk that she couldn't even write it down. She literally could not write it down, refused to, because it's that bad. So if I give you just a review based on what I found, but I don't write it down in a report, and it sounds bad just in summary, imagine 
if we start digging in imagine, into the details. Imagine our so, baby goes. Who else? So, so who else is who else is who else is mentioned in the emails? Who else is there? That's what I want to know. Who else is there? Look, the the owners, owners have full rights. For, don't ever wonder. The owners have full rights to take Daniel Snyder's franchise away from them. They're allowed to do that. They can do that. But then they tell you something that they refused to do that in July. They didn't want to do that. Because, because, they, because none of them want to open that particular got page. a little something. If they exactly. open the door to the closet that contains the skeletons, then they open a Pandora's box. And what's interesting, you know what the NFL continued, for all the billions upon billions that they make, you know what they continue to fail at time after time again is PR and PR strategy. Okay? Because don't they realize that the, the whole the tighter or the more you stand in front of this door that's containing that that's got containing the skeletons and where, where, the, where the bodies are buried. The more you stand in front of that door, the more we are left to do nothing but assume that it's way worse than we could even imagine. They say the cover up is worth the worse than the crime. That is a tried and true cliche that has stood the test of time for a reason. So if by chance the punishment for Daniel Snyder and the Washington football team, let's say hypothetically speaking, and for argument's sake, that it is adequate. That it, let's say it is ad- adequate. How are we to believe that when you're covering up the evidence, which by the way, Michael, we're talking about emails and texts. That's just electronic communication. Everything, everybody didn't leave a paper yeah. trail. There, how, who knows how much more evidence substantiates Beth Wilkinson's broad findings interviews, testimony, phone calls, phone records. Like there's more than just emails and texts in an investigation. I would hope right that, you know, that would substantiate a toxic work environment or that would support the allegation of a a toxic work environment. So they continue to fumble. Nobody fumbles worse than the NFL when it comes to PR and how to handle crisis, how to manage crisis. And now what you see at this owner's meeting is so fitting that it's their first time getting together in a long time because whether it's Stan Kroenke saying, ah, you know what, these legal fees, man, they're hitting the brother kind of hard. Y'all going to have to come up off something for these legal fees. It's like whether it's Mark Davis, they're all going at each other. And I'm here for it. This is the real NFL owners. It's the real owners of the NFL. I'm here for it because that's the only way that that true accountability is going to happen is if they hold themselves accountable, but I'm not going to hold my breath that they're going to hold themselves accountable. It goes back to my original point that unless and until we keep that same energy week in and week out and do not get distracted by next week's games and our fantasy football lineups and our betting and all the different things that consume us most of the time, this cannot just be a media story. This cannot just be about the victims. This just cannot be an inside baseball, or in this case, inside football story that people like me and you talk about and people get bored by. The fans, and by extension, the sponsors. The only thing rich people understand is messing with their money. That's all they understand. It's the only reason why this clown ever changed the name of his team to begin with was because the money, they were messing with the church's money. So unless and until they, and they wrote a letter to sponsors saying we need your help to apply pressure unless and yeah. until the government or sponsors actually applies pressure to their bottom line. They're going to continue to get up there 
and spit that BS and act like it's it's he's Goodell's act like he's saying something because he can. But the same reason that they got away with race norming and concussion settlements, which is a completely underdiscussed story that continues to disgust me every time I think about it. That they got right. away with racist practices when it came to concussion settlements, applying a lower baseline of cognitive. Um, Decline for black players and they just said they were going to stop doing that and they do all that stuff because they can because they get they, they get away with it. They're a cartel. They're a mafia. They ain't a good old boys network. They're the mob and they are and they are protected and they, they're all protected. Not just the football team. They're all protected. And frankly, we do the protecting. I wish we had. I wish we could even in our job day to day because later on in this show, you know, what we gonna talk about later on in the show. We're going to talk about some football team, not Washington. We're going to talk about some football team. We're going to talk about some football story. We're going to discuss Jamar Chase. We're going to discuss Tom Brady. We're going to continue to feed the machine, continue to feed the beast. Because even in our in our positions, we're hypocritical because we're part of that machine. We draw checks. Everybody's sucking at the teeth. We draw checks from that machine. So they're, so they're not going to be held accountable as long as them checks keep clearing, as long as we keep putting money in their pocket, as long as we keep acting like fans. Well, I'll say this. Uh, it's funny, and, and this is this is an appropriate comparison. You know, Richard Nixon. This is a Nixonian story. So Richard Nixon, as you all know, was obsessed with uh, recording everything, including his own conversations. Uh, it led to some victories for him, and it ultimately led to some political losses. But one of the things he did, because he was obsessed with the Kennedys, uh, and we live in New England, so we know all these stories. But one of the things. Uh, he said way back in the uh, 1960s, when he was trying to make the Kennedys look bad. Mike, he said, look, look, uh, when is the Boston Globe going to write a, 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 there's so many bad stories to write about the Kennedys. Can we get a story? Can we get a negative story about the Kennedys in the Boston Globe? And then he said to himself, he said, you know what? Uh, essentially, I'm wasting my time because the average guy just cares about getting a hot dog and, 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 and making sure the bills can be paid. And, and really, that same thing is true. The NFL knows that's the truth today. Right. Ultimately, what people care about is, hey, am I good and am I entertained? And all this other stuff is a distraction. But I do want to point out, I love this. I love that we live in New England, Mike. You and I live in New England. And it was just, you know, five, six years ago when the NFL devoted hundreds of pages and millions of dollars to find out the truth about... (gasps) Deflated footballs. <laughs> like it's a, the most expensive yeah. scandal in league history was money spent <laughs> on finding out who deflated that football. Was that the ideal gas law? What mm-hmm. happened to the football? And I've got, I've still got <laughs> it right over here. I've got pages of information from the NFL. Roger Goodell and his lawyers and Jeff Pash spent a lot of time on deflated footballs, but I got nothing on Daniel Snyder and the Washington football team. Nothing in print. Well, if it's, it's a player, we'd have something. That were leaked from somewhere. If it, yeah, if it was a player, we'd have something. You know what else people don't care about? Women. You talk about the, people, the things that people do care about. They don't care about women. No matter how, no matter how large of a percentage of the fan base women make up. This is no different than any other place in, 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 or any other sector of our society. You think, you, think, you think people, by and large, are really about to stand and, and hold their, their, the national pastime accountable for how it treats women? 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Mike. At any point in your coaching career, did you ever have an interest or express an interest in being a head coach in the college game? And do you have any idea how that may or may not have led to folks like Ryan and Doug Whaley and Carson Palmer connecting you to some college jobs? Hey, guys, I don't have time for that speculation. I mean, that's a joke to me. Um, I got one of the best jobs in, in all of professional sport. Why would I have any interest in coaching college football? Um, that'll be the last time that I address it. And not only today, but moving forward. Never say never, but never. Okay? Anybody else got any questions about any college jobs? There's not a booster with a big enough blank check. Anyone else? All right. Thank you. Anybody asking Sean Payton about that? You know, anybody asking Andy Reid about stuff like that? Mike Smith, one of the great all-time... Let, let's just go here. Before we even get into the meat of the topic, let me just say one of the great all-time Mike Tomlin press conferences. Too soon? Too soon to do that type of analysis? <laughs> anyway, like, this is way up there. This is... They have some great lines in there. Never say never, but never. And the look on the face. <laughs> and to add, there's not a booster with a, bl- with a big enough blank check. I mean... <laughs> That was great. And then there's, walking and then getting no, up. There's no wiggle room there. It, there's no qualifying. I mean, there. it's just it's just the, the passion. The anybody else, thank you. And then, you know, walking off uh, uh, and, and letting us interpret, you know, what it all means. Before we get to what it all means, I think this word. is part of it, though. Yeah, that, that is. Now, let's start here. I, I just I always want to remind people, I feel like, uh, and, and I don't have an agenda here. I, I, I'm seriously, I'm just going to tell you all, just in case you're wondering, I'm not working on a Mike Tomlin book. I'm not against it, but I'm not working on a Mike Tomlin book right now. So there's no business relationship or anything like that. I think I've uh, had like a couple of conversations with Mike Tomlin. Uh, Mike, you know him much better than I do. And the conversations that I've had with him have not even been one-on-one. But I think this all starts, I think this all starts with who Mike Tomlin is. And I was, t- I was telling somebody earlier today, I think it's instructive just to look at his record. I don't know if we have a, a full screen of Mike Tomlin's record in the NFL. I think this is part of where his, uh, uh, I, I was going to say anger, but anger anger is not the right word. It's not anger. Oh, he uh, was angry. He it, was it's, angry. It's almost like, I'm appalled. He's appalled. He's appalled that you would go there. I, the first one is zero losing seasons. First of all, that's the okay, perfect picture for record. this conversation. Let's just start with that. Uh, okay. That is the perfect <laughs> yeah. picture for this conversation. <laughs> like Mike, Mike T right now is saying, yeah. do you see my resume? Check my resume. Yeah. My record like, speaks for itself. And what he's about to do, <laughs> but at the very bottom, Chuck Noll and Bill Cowher, yeah. both of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Mike, Mike Tomlin, 
if he does not have a losing record this year, he's going to pass Bill Cowher, and he's going to have more wins. So we'll have the second most wins in Steelers history. So mm-hmm. we got to understand who Mike Tomlin is. And I, underst- and I can see him being annoyed by the distraction of it, but we talked about it a bit yesterday. The difference is you look at it and say they shouldn't even be addressing Mike Tomlin. You're not on his level. I look at it and say, hey, anybody who wants to talk to me, I'm, I'm good with it. But I think there is clearly, clearly no doubt in my mind when Mike Tomlin brought up Andy Reid and Sean Payton, there's clearly a racial undertone like, why are you asking me and not asking them? I, I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. that's clear as day. I mean, that's clear as day to me. Uh, you tell me if I'm wrong. And and now, well, not told, only is well, it clear, just, well, but now I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I told you that. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong because I told you that very thing yesterday. So, no, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. That's how I that's how I inferred it. That's what I inferred. I don't know if that's what he intended to imply, but that's what I inferred. I do want to be careful about making assumptions, um, you know, across the board. Because even Carson Palmer, all right, let's let's just kind of let's go down the list if you don't mind. Let's do a little housekeeping. Matter of fact, Michael, yeah, I, I, I gave this a lot more thought last night after yesterday's show. We talked about this for two days in a row. This makes three. Um, I want to break this down for so it could forever and consistently be broke. Okay, let's break this all the way down. All right, one by one piece, piece by piece. So Carson Palmer, all right, given the way USC views itself and fancies itself and the tradition and this, that, and the other, um, there's no, there's nothing wrong with USC aiming high or, or Carson Palmer being like, man, you know, it'd be, right. it'd be awesome to have Mike Tomlin here. Okay, that's 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 perfect. That's that's perfectly fine. Okay, um, there's there's nothing racist about that. People use the word racist way too loosely, okay? I didn't suggest that it was racist right. for him to be mentioned with no. USC. I didn't, exp- no, I didn't suggest that Carson no, Palmer no, no. was being racist for throwing out Mike Tomlin's name. Of course not, all right? But there is a racial component, which I will explain. So that's part one. Part two, nothing in this conversation, this is why there's so many layers that required us unpacking it more today, and I'm glad we're going back here today. Nothing can be viewed in a vacuum. Because remember, in the yesterday's conversation, after we finished talking about what I inferred as uh, the plight of the black coach coming out of Mike Tomlin in that moment, at the end of it, I said, I want to get to this new Rooney Rule addendum being discussed at the owners' meetings. But we ran out of time, and we never got back to it. So, Michael, I think you may have seen this. There are new enhancements to the Rooney Rule ahead of the next hiring cycle. And the NFL is informing owners that they are now mandated at least one in-person interview with an external minority candidate for head coach and general manager jobs. Let's think about that for a second. They are mandated. External. They have to be told to have at least one in-person interview. Outside the organization. Outside the organization. You can't be like, hey, come here. Leroy. Let's talk. Let's talk about this job right quick. Like, you have they have to be mandated <laughs> to right. talk to an outside minority candidate. There are three yeah. black coaches in the NFL right now: Mike Tomlin, Brian Flores, David Culley. The numbers are so bad that they have to now refer to it as coaches of color to make the numbers look better. Therefore, you can add Robert right. Sala and Ron Rivera. Okay, 
So the, the only way that it wasn't that Mike Tomlin wasn't referring to the plight of a black coach, as I, as I called it in, in this context, is if he were just looking around at peers in terms of longevity, seniority, tenure, record, and the only people he saw happened to be white. When you look around, yeah. okay, oh, yeah, okay, it's, 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 it's John Harbaugh, it's Andy Reid, Obviously, I'm not going to say Belichick, but it's like on that level, that was his only contemporaries. So if they want to say it's not racial, if, if Mike Tomlin wants to say, guys, guys, okay. guys, I wasn't, I wasn't talking about race here. I was just talking about people who have my resume. It's like, okay, fair enough, right? Who are, so there's who that. Who are on my level? Okay, fine. Yeah, who are fine, on my level? Um, the other part is um, Here's the, here's the, here's the uh, comparison I would make, Michael. If, if somebody asks a black quarterback to change positions coming out of college, yes, white quarterbacks have changed positions before, but there is a connotation to it. There is a historic, right. you know, uh, there's scars there. There's history behind that type of thing. It hits different. So when you ask Mike yes. Tomlin about going back to college, this is where race comes in for me, for those that either don't want to understand or struggle to understand. This is why so many people besides me seem to interpret it and process it that way, yourself included, because black people in general, but specifically in the NFL, Black people don't get opportunities, we get chances. Let me say that again. In America, black people don't get opportunities, we get chances, okay? And Mike Tomlin is a unicorn among black coaches, not just for his record, for his longevity, but the job that he holds, one of the premier jobs in all the sports. So the idea of asking somebody as accomplished as Mike, Mike Tomlin about taking what effectively, sorry USC, amounts to a demotion is insulting that's, given that's all the things that's harsh. It's college football. I mean, it's not harsh. Michael, it's college football. I mean, it's, it's college football. They might pay the same, but it's college football. If that's the case, then college football be professional football. It, it, it acts act like they're professional football, but it's not. It's the highest level. So it is a demotion given the hurdles, the hills, the obstacles that Mike Tomlin has had to overcome, given the shoulders that he is standing on to be in this position, the idea of going to college for him, where he hasn't been since he was a DB's coach at the University of Cincinnati, is insulting. And here's the other thing that Mike Tomlin could have simply been referring to. Why am I perpetually so underrated and underappreciated that you're asking me if I'd be interested in a college job? And here's the last point about the difference between black, black and white coaches. Many have pointed out that yep. white coaches are asked about college jobs. It's been pointed out that Jeff Fisher and, and John Harbaugh and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, well, obviously Jim Harbaugh went back to college when the Niners got rid of him. But, um, you know, Sean Payton even. I mean, and I, don't, I don't have the receipts, but this, these are names that have been, oh, people ask white coaches about college jobs all the time. It hits different, and here's why. Let me tell you how the sausage is made. Most of the time, when white coaches are asked about college jobs, it is intentional. 
because the machine, and this goes back to the three black coaches and five minority coaches in the NFL, the machine works as such where many of these coaches and their agents are in cahoots with the media and they are asked about college jobs as leverage. That's why it can be flattering. John Gruden was asked, was rumored to have to be connected to every college job that opened while he was in broadcasting. And you know what he got out of it? A raise every single time. Okay. In the case of black coaches, doesn't work that way. It goes back to what I talked about with Eric Bieniemy and Byron Leftwich. We're not geniuses. We're play- Mike Tomlin been tagged with a player's coach tag his whole career. Never been a genius. For 15 Tony years. Tony Dungy, player's right. coach. Right. Never been a genius. Player's coaches. Because they relate to right. play- Players relate to them. Okay? So, right. the, 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 the hot names, the, the guys that these owners decide that they want out of the gate which necessitates a mandate to have a more thorough process. Rarely are those guys, rarely do those guys look like Mike Tomlin. So if you want to know why people like me looked at this through a racial lens, not racist, notice the difference in the words, racial lens is because of the history and the struggle of black coaches in the NFL, and for that matter, in college football. Ain't like they got a whole bunch of them at marquee programs in college football. I'm going there. So that's, that's exactly why for, it hit different. So that's for exactly Tomlin, he may have been, it been insulted because he's perpetually underrated. He may have been simply using um, Andy Reid and John Harbaugh as, as contemporaries because not many people have his standing in his resume and his tenure. But if, it, if he were looking at it the way I'm looking at it, I just gave you all the reasons why. For all the people that say, well, white coaches got asked about it all the time. Pete Carroll getting asked about it ain't the same thing because a white coach going back to college is not a step back. Oftentimes, it's a come up. It's not a step back when they go back to college. There ain't that many retread black coaches in NFL history. I can count them on one hand. It doesn't, it's not the same thing. The journey for black coaches is different and no different than black quarterbacks. It's subtle. It's nuanced. And if you want to just throw it, if you want to look everything through a black and white lens, then you're going to miss the fact that it's apples and oranges when it comes to Mike Tomlin being asked about a college job and a a white counterpart being asked about a college job. And, and by the way, it just for, for context, thank you for the time. I hope all that, I hope all that made sense. Yeah, I know I went really long there. Thank you for the time. Yes, you did. Listen, uh, Pete Carroll got fired from from New England, and so when he went back to USC and New was, York, and it was it wasn't immediate either. He took a year off, and then and then got the USC job. But I want I, I do want to um, point this out. For Mike Tomlin, a reason not to be insulted by it, though, Mike, is somebody looking at him as a difference maker, as a trans, at, like a transformative coach. Now, he's not the first mm-hmm, black coach mm-hmm. to win a Super Bowl. I think he was the second, right? Was he the second black coach to win a Super Bowl after Tony Dungy? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, I can tell you, in college football, you have a, a leader like Mike Tomlin at a school like USC. I know it's not going to happen. Never say never, but mm-hmm. never. Got it, Coach Tomlin. Got it. But <laughs> if you have a guy like Tomlin at a school like USC 
you know what you could finally have, and this is a conversation that we haven't talked about a lot. I don't know if people realize there's never been a black coach who's won a national championship. That's never happened. <laughs> so hey, if you want to talk about breaking barriers, yeah, he has broken barriers. You think you, you look at it, hey, look it up. I'm right. Uh, if you talk about breaking barriers in pro football, he's done that in a lot of ways, and he could do that in college football. Would that be a demotion? In my eyes, no. I can see why you would say that. I can see why a lot of people could see it. But based on his accomplishments and what he, where he is, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it could be a it could be a great move. But he ain't interested. Yeah, no, he ain't interested. I, I hear you, and it maybe it's at a later time. It's just absent a, a, a connection to an alma mater. That's typically not the career path, and he's done too much to get this far. To willingly say, like, if 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 he were unemployed, that's one thing. And now we got a guest standing by, so we can go to break here. I don't, I don't want to talk. I, I've, yeah, I've said do. all I need to say. Um, and, I, and, I, and if you have as well. But, you know, if he were unemployed, that's one thing. If he were, again, if this were the agent leverage game, trying to get a new contract, trying to let everybody know, like, he's got options, which is often played behind the scenes in the NFL, that's another thing. If he had a connection to USC, the way Eric Bieniemy does to Los Angeles, that would be another thing. Or if he had been a college coach already and then went back to college. That's, an, that's yet another thing. So all of the, every circumstance is different. But Mike Tomlin, it's not as By simple way, as... And it was a fair question. It's reporting. Carson Palmer threw it out. He had to be asked. No issue with him being asked the question. But instead of dismissing out of hand the racial component... Work. I would. I would. I would ask people to work a little bit harder at understanding where the sensitivity comes from. It's not in a vacuum. Right. It's not in a vacuum. Like, do your homework. Be considerate of another perspective instead of people that have benefited from racism telling us what is and isn't racial. That's all I would ask. Mike. Homework. Homework. I just want to hot take this thing. I just want to throw it out there. I, I didn't know there'd be homework involved. What do you mean? Homework? Really? No. By the way, that's Sorry. the way to do a denial, Mike Tomlin. That's how you do it tonight. Never say never, but never. But never. Woo! That's how it's done. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. We've strung together four good wins, and um, heading home, we're in a we're in a good spot. So I, I just think everybody's really enjoying uh, playing together and uh, feeling good about the team, feeling good about uh, the young season. And uh, we know we've just got to keep keep going. I mean, things can change in a hurry in this league, so we just got to keep plugging away. All right, so far so good for the. Golden State Warriors, who are 4-0 and 
uh, after beating OKC last night. And, you know, listen, few people know this organization and this team better than our next guest, Mr. Marcus Thompson II from The Athletic, also an author several times over, including his latest, Dynasties, the 10 GOAT teams that changed the NBA forever. I don't. I got two copies. One that my man sent me. Another one I bought myself, and I gave it to my son, and he hasn't put it down yet. So, getting close to the holidays. Dynasties, the ten gold teams that changed the NBA forever, and of course the, the modern day Golden State Warriors are included in that. Marcus, we'll get to this in a moment. But let me ask you this, bro. Um, you know, Warriors last year, really, really good defensive team. I believe one of the top defensive teams in the league. Struggled on the offensive end. How is this team different? so far this season from last year's iteration. And they got some OGs. They got some, they got some of them, uh, them dudes who are going to be shooting mid-range jumpers at 75 years old and never miss it to some local park, right? Like Otto Porter, uh, Nemanja Bielica. Like, they got some dudes now. It's, it's different. Uh, I do think the growth of Jordan Poole helps a lot. They got another playmaker. Uh, Steph's, Steph's got a few arsenal a little bit. Uh, Andrew Wiggins. You know, he got his va- vaccine. Now he's hooping. It's definitely a, a bit of a different feel, but they're not so young anymore. They got some They got some OGs. They got some vets. All right, you said they're not so young anymore. And, and I'm looking at them, and I still see them as young, even though they're not young, maybe because of the draft picks this year. And I'm saying they're a little bit ahead of schedule. Is that accurate? Let's say they finish. Let's say they finish like third or fourth in the West, or if they win the West, isn't that way ahead of what they thought they would be this year? Absolutely. I mean, they are ahead of schedule. Uh, look, if they would have lost to the Lakers opening night, nobody would have thought that was crazy. I mean, the Lakers have their own mess, but they were a pretty good team. They finished last year fifteen and five, and they made what they thought were some upgrades. Uh, you know, this thing is all contingent upon Clay Thompson coming back and being Clay Thompson. So they're just trying to like hold fort until Clay gets there. We didn't know holding fort would be four and zero, right? And keep in mind, they got now they got an eight game homestand, so they could come out of this thing looking pretty, right? They can come out of here ten and two, and then it's like, uh oh, the hype, the hype is real. But I, I would say they definitely are ahead of schedule. Uh, this is this wasn't the plan to come out of the gates blazing because now you add clay and if clay is 80 percent now you can start talking about a championship if they're as good as it looks so far well they're ahead of schedule but they certainly aren't bothered being behind because as you, as you just saw a moment ago they're 4-0 despite trailing at the half in all four games the 85-86 clippers of all teams are the, are the only other team in NBA history to open a season 4-0 despite trailing at the half in each uh, of those games. So what has been the difference in the second half? Why have they been resilient in the second half of these games so far? Is it the competition? Because again, Kings, Thunder, not exactly, you know, the class of the league. And the and Lakers, of course, have had their issues. And, and those deficits haven't been, you know, 20-plus point deficit, so we don't want to make too much of this, but what is it about the second half in this team um, that's made it able to, uh, that's allowed it to overcome these deficits? I'm going to let you pass on that Kings slander real quick though, because the Kings is it. This, this is the year of the Kings, buddy. Catch up. Well, okay. Step, step into the... Harrison, just, Bar- <laughs> Harrison Barnes, who knew? 
Who knew? Who knew, Where right? Who knew? <laughs> a, a big part of the deal is like Steph Curry is Mr. Third Quarter, right? Like he just has another gear. But I do think if Steph goes into his gear, and now they have other dudes who kind of play off of him. So now when the games get late and the defense get tight, it's not just Steph Curry. It's all right, you want to double Steph? Cool. We got other guys now. That that's how they feel. They've won the last two games without Steph scoring in the fourth quarter. He has not scored. Like it's almost like the other team is so scared of Steph that they got other guys hitting open shots. And guess what? It's it's a novelty. It's a revelation. But those guys are hitting the shots. Damian Lee is hitting big shots. Otto Porter hitting big shots. Juan Toscano Anderson hit big shots. So it's almost like the, 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 the Steph juice, the gravity, they have some players who can kind of take advantage of it now. So at the end, what's going to happen is, okay, now you got to guard these guys. You won't be able to sell out completely on Steph. And then Steph's going to cook. So it's kind of pick your poison. And that's this is how they drew it up. As long as these OGs make outside shots, make their threes, it's all good. Even Andre Iguodala, who's like 37 years old and in better shape than most <laughs> Americans will ever be in their life, is still hitting three, hitting big buckets from the corner. Like, it's insane how this is working out so far. So just, I just want to be clear for all the Warriors fans and Warriors uh, and Warriors haters out there. Uh, A lot of those, yeah. Clay <laughs> coming back. Is he on? Is he on schedule to come back? And and when, when do they expect him? Clay's doing the field thing. So first, the first thing he said is he's he's sitting out a full year. He's not coming back more than before a year, and that's November twenty fifth from surgery. So after that, he'll start doing some activities. He'll start getting up and down, and then it's a matter of what what Clay feels like. I'm telling you. This dude looks like he's ready to play right now. He is so eager, eager, and so hungry. I mean, this is like the definition. Of, remember, remember, uh, Nettie Professor, 35 years of wanting and wanting. That's Clay Thompson right now. It's been two years since he played. <laughs> I don't see this getting past Christmas. I'm telling you, I don't see it getting past Christmas. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's just too big. Like, he is tr- like, he kicked everybody off the court in LA. Like, it was like, hey, it's my turn. I've been waiting two years for this. He kicked everybody off the court. It was yeah. like, I'm working out now. Quit playing these games. Like this dude is hungry, hungry. So I don't know how I don't know how they go keep him off the court that long. And now he's pissed because I don't know how you keep one maybe the second best shooter of all time, you know, off the top seventy five list and, and a two way player that he is. And I know if you take if you put him on, somebody gotta come off. I know how math works. But nonetheless, if he wasn't already yeah. trying to prove something, now he's got that much more motivation. But look, let me ask you somebody about somebody gotta come off then, Mike. We, uh, hey, somebody gotta come off. I know. So what? I know. I know. Not I know. Play I know. This for real. Ain't no problem. It, feel, Ain't no it problem. feels like a snub. It feels like a snub. Feels like a snub. Um, but nonetheless, is. let's move on to some other players. I'm, I'm gonna kind of uh, do six degrees of separation here, because as great as that first playing game was last year between last season between the Lakers and the Warriors. It was John Morant in Memphis who sent him home. Yes. John Morant right now is averaging 35 points a game, I believe, um, after averaging 19 last year. What have you seen from John Morant? And is this one of those things that it's a hot start? Or maybe not 35 points, but is it sustainable? Like, is John Morant, a, could he end up being a dark horse type MVP guy sooner rather than later? He's, he's, I, w- I dare to say he's coming. He's already here. How sustainable is this from him? 
Absolutely, he can't be. This dude is a monster. You know, you know what he right? does? He gives you he, he he gives you the credits for why it's so important for young players to get into a playoff setting. He went first. He outed the Warriors. Right? He closed that game out against Golden State in Chase Center in San Francisco. And then he went and scared the hell out of Utah, right? So he's got that I've been to the playoff swag about him. And now he knows how good mm-hmm. he is. And they don't have Dylan Brooks right now. They're, they're getting Jackson kind of, you know, and, you know he's growing a little bit. He's going to be a, a critical factor to what they do. But he's just getting the sea legs under him. So it's the John Morant show. Uh, I feel like he's going to be MVP maybe not this year, but at some point. And he's going to do it in the playoffs because his game is kind of fit for it. He can get to where he wants yeah. to on the court. He's, he's he's Russell. Like, he's young Russell where, like, you just – you can't stay in front of this dude. But also, yeah. Mike, he's shooting 40% from three. Like, don't get this dude. I was about to say, he's, shot. It's he's over. expanded his game. Yeah, he's it expanded his game. If you can get, get to the basket – he the thing I worry too. about with Ja, though, the thing I worry about with Ja is he. It's a lot. To, it's a lot to, they're putting on him. Like at some point, they're yeah. gonna have to get him another star because we've seen we, we, Steph last year. We saw it right. Like Steph is like you start double teaming him. There's nothing else. It's tough for one dude to carry the load, and he's carrying a huge load. Minutes is up. Usage is up. His field goal percentages are up too, which tells you how good he is. But at some point, yeah. they're gonna have to get somebody with him because he's he's too good to waste like this. We can't do this to Ja. We cannot do this to yeah. Ja. He's too good. Speaking of too good, and I want to keep with that kind of six degrees of separation from the Warriors theme. There was some talk, some, uh, you know, but it just felt it felt a little repetitive about the Warriors instead of taking James Wiseman, taking Lamelo Ball in last year's draft. Lamelo Ball win got his own team. And it is the LaMelo Ball show is must-see TV uh, on League Pass these days. Um, dude will not be 21 until next August. Remember, Derrick Rose is the youngest MVP in league history at 22. Is it, are, are the Hornets for real? I know LaMelo's for real. Are the Hornets for real? And is LaMelo somebody, given the numbers he's putting up, should, will he end up in the MVP conversation before the year is over? Or is it strictly small sample size theater, as they call it? The MVP is going to be interesting because, you know, the truth is MVP, you got to get buckets, right? <laughs> like, that's really what it matters. And you got to get wins. Yeah. And I wonder if he's he's the strength of his game is passing, is feel for the game. And he's he's showing an aptitude for scoring. But I wonder if he'll do it enough at a rate for him to get MVP. But I, I've, I've seen every single minute of Hornets basketball and that team is exciting. And they're for real as far as like a team on the rise. Because not just because Alonzo, but Miles Bridges is, is hooping out of his mind too. And that has something to do with with Lonzo. Like with I'm sorry, with uh, LaMelo. But uh, that Charlotte team is Lonzo legit. been great I too. Feel like the Lonzo, yeah. I'm I'm high on Chicago, but so Chicago, Charlotte, my two sleepers in the East. But I'm telling you, like LaMelo is a monster. He, I remember doing a draft process. The Warriors love Wiseman, but I remember people telling me, like, yo, this is the most talented dude in the draft. Like, this kid can play. Yeah. And I think there were concerns about his shot and there were concerns about his defense. But he's just showing, man, when you know how to play, you got that much talent, you can figure it out. Like, you've yeah. got to watch this team on League Pass. Their games are like they're yeah. like hype high school games. And so it's just electricity everywhere. <laughs> Highlights happening all the time. Something might pop off. Somebody might run on the court. It just got 
that kind of vibe. <laughs> hey, listen, I know it's way too early to be talking about MVP, <laughs> but the, the thing I do want to get to you to get from you real quick, and I know Michael is dying to talk to you about the book because, you know, you want to go author to author. Our New York Times bestselling author wants to go author to author for <laughs> the book process. So last thing about the current NBA I got for you is, you know, I mean, LeBron sat out last night. Russ threw it down and held it down. AD stepped up. They did their thing. Um, been nothing short of drama for the Lakers the first few games of the season. Too early to worry about them. I mean, a lot of people, including myself, kind of had them as a lock to figure it out and come out of the West. Too soon to worry about them. You, you, you feel like they'll figure it out? Or what's your feeling on the Lakers? You read on the Lakers one week into the season. Nah, it definitely ain't too soon to worry about it. It's time to bite some fingernails. <laughs> First off, like AD, really? was he trolling? Like AD goes down, hold his knee. Like, why is he doing that? Ooh, that looked bad. Catches a, that looked catches bad. Catches an alley-oop the next play. Like, right. why are you messing with people like that? Uh, look, we, we just learned that Russ is pretty good without LeBron, <laughs> which is, which is going to be a problem <laughs> because he's he's kind of got to play with him. And it's in one hand it's it's kind of it's it's a good sign right this is why he's here lebron was able to sit out a whole game and they had a chance to win because russ could take over they just didn't right. have that before right. right and that that matters but the truth is if they're going to be the team that we think they are like i thought they would be at the top of the west top 2 they kind of need russ and lebron to ball out together so it is a bit mm. worrisome if Russ can't figure out how to play off the ball and LeBron, you know, is gonna he's gotta play fifty games, sixty games for them to be at the top of the West. Like I don't I don't know how I, you should be nervous. Not to mention like Malik Monk might be the fourth best player on the team. And that's that's probably not that's probably not good either, right? So not they're a very top heavy team, so it's tough. Yeah. Well, man, I, I, I really do want to talk to you about this dynasty's book. It's interesting that Michael Smith got a copy. I didn't. I'm just. I'm just saying. I didn't get hey, a copy. Hey, Mike got two um, copies. I'm open. I, I thought one of them was for you. I, oh, 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 I'm <laughs> saying he got two. Oh, oh, see. No, he thought you were sending them too. He bought one. He bought one. I guess you know what. A, yeah, that's a, touche. I I could always come back and buy it. I could buy it and support an author. But I do want to ask you about some uh, specifics in the book. But I'm. At, uh, I'll start this way though. Is one of those dynasties, I know it's not in the book now, but will they be, when you write the updated version in a year or two, will you have to include the Milwaukee Bucks with Giannis in his prime? They already got one championship. Will you be including the Bucks one day, you think? I didn't think it was possible, but it's feeling more that way because Brooklyn ain't going to get it together, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, the, oh, the obvious answer is, is Brooklyn is the best team in the in, in NBA, and they are they have the dynasty potential. But if they can't get right from life, then it's, it don't matter, right? The Bucks can win it again. And if Giannis get two, now you see you you got to start talking about him that way. And, and I'm curious too about what kind of moves do they swing? Like if this team becomes a perennial championship contender, that's where you start getting players you probably wouldn't otherwise get in Milwaukee. So it's not that far-fetched. I don't think so. I do feel like at some point, like KD's going to have something to say about this. And, you know, Atlanta, I feel like it's going to be a problem in the future. They're going to be a problem to deal with. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Bucks got another one. Back-to-back is almost a guarantee to get you a dynasty status. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, speaking of have something to say, um, I conveniently, uh, well, we know, actually, we had, we had a cancellation, and then I took off the rest of the week. 
uh, Michael never got a chance to give me that smoke after that opening night game uh, when not only did the Bucks get a chip, but they got a chip. That's that's scary, Michael. I'm not gonna lie. And I'm scared of the idea of the Bucks being a dynasty because uh, I know what I'm gonna have to deal with if that ends up being the case. They got a chip on their shoulder because they, uh, yeah, they feel exactly. disrespected. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. They'll be. Uh, don't don't worry, Mike. I'll have other opportunities. I have other opportunities. Oh, I'm sure. To, to oh, give I'm you sure. what what you escaped last week. But Marcus, I, I think this book this book fascinates me. You talk about dynasties because I think the league has been built on dynasties. You know, yes. throughout its history, the NBA has always yes. had uh, a dynastic bent to it. You know, what, what, what stands out to you, you know, based on your research and based on, like, putting these, these 10 GOAT teams that changed the NBA forever, what, if there's one thing that connects them all, you know, what is that thing? Man, I know I'm going to sound like I'm getting old, but uh, and I am, but, man, we got to honor our legends, man. The legends, be, we disrespect the legends too much. Like, the one thing I learned, like, doing the research for this book and writing this book is how disrespected some of these dynasties are. Uh, and, yeah. like, we should be talking way more about the Russell Celtics. I mean, all of this stuff hinges on that. And, and, and literally, the truth is, all of these, like, legendary teams and these players, they're kind of like building blocks that are stacked on another, right? Like, so we spend so much time comparing them and, like, saying who's better. We should probably be spending more time talking about how linked they are and how connected they are. I mean, how many people know that the idea of off- offensive transition was basically Celtics, right? Like, nope, people don't know that stuff. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time comparing and contrasting and, and talking about how they, didn't ha- they only had eight teams or whatever, but they essentially turned basketball into the commodity it is, and it's all built on each other. There is no NBA without George Mikan. It doesn't happen. Like, nobody cares. They were playing in cages. Like, it was a joke. Like, nobody yeah. nobody paid attention until this, like, seven-foot freak show started, hit, you know, like, holding the ball hella high over his head and running offense off of it, right? So all of this stuff is built on each other. Man, the Pistons, we hear about the dirtiness and the physical play of the Pistons, man. You know what the Pistons did? The Pistons brought the hood into the NBA. Like, they were they were out there representing for the, the communities that were blighted, right? They were out there representing for cities that got yeah. left behind. And they became, like, the beacon for Detroit, which was a terrible – like, the, the Pistons were awful. And the, the city was being destroyed. The height of the crack epidemic, the city was falling apart. And the Pistons came through and, and gave people something to be proud of, like – all of this stuff is impactful and it matters. And we should probably spend more time giving the flowers to the OGs, man. Like, it, we really do. I love that. I love that, Marcus. This is my, my, my last thing for you. And I've said this. It may be, I don't know if I've said it flippantly or if I have really have studied it as much as I should have. But I, I've, I've, I've made this the distinction. In my lifetime, which, you know, I was born in 1985. Uh, in my lifetime... Uh, I, I've, I've said that the Warriors are the best team. The KD Warriors are the best team I've ever seen in NBA, in NBA, in recent NBA history. Have I gone too far or based on your study of dynasties? Is, does that comment have some validity? Could, does it hold up to intellectual rigor? Yeah, it holds up for sure. No question. I mean, 
there's four Hall of Famers right on that squad. Like, I think you, I think you have a tough time. Like, if 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 Michael Smith wanted to argue about the Jordan Bulls, he'd make a great case, right? And you know, there's some people who could argue really strongly for the Showtime Lakers. Like that team was loaded. You can definitely make a case, but because the Warriors were something nobody has ever seen before, and they would be a nightmare to defend because it's just such a unique form of basketball. I mean, they don't even have they don't even like centers, right? <laughs> like Draymond is the center of a dynasty. <laughs> like think about that, right? Like how do you cover Draymond? You're really gonna ask Shaq to cover Draymond as he gets the rebound and go coast to coast. And the amount of shooting and the, the dimensions of the floor they change and KD and Steph are just two of the most dynamic offensive weapons of all time. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's a stretch at all. I think it's a matter of preference and it'd be great to simulate, but they're definitely in the mix. That team was impossibly loaded. If you just look at the eighth guy on the roster, He's like a really good player. I, th- I think Andre Iguodala is a Hall of Famer. That, that's five Hall of Famers yeah, on the I'd team. So. Now, now you, yeah, you, now you're starting to, you, you, you can't get more talented than that. So I don't think you're that wrong. Uh, I'm partial, you know, because I was a teenager. I'm partial to Jordan, right? I was, I was a little kid. I was influenced, man. I was, I was listening to hip hop, and I was hoping to get some Jordans. And I had my starter jacket and I was watching Come Fly With Me videos, right? That That's what I was influenced right. by. So I'm going to go with the Bulls. But I don't have no problem yeah. with somebody who grew up watching this saying Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green is the best thing they've ever seen because that's a pretty significant team. Well, listen, listen, man. Uh, Marcus Thompson, the second from the Athletic. We could talk ball with you all day, man. We appreciate the time. And we know you put your heart and soul into this song. As the mighty most deaf one said, congratulations. Um, this is a must-have for any serious NBA fan and historian. Uh, dynasties, the 10 goal teams that changed the NBA forever. Marcus, we appreciate you, bro. Thank you so much. Thank you, Holly. Yes. I, I, I'm gonna send you one since Mike stole yours. I got. I got. <laughs> I did not. Stole it. You sent me mine, and I purchased one. They, they didn't send you two. I told them to send you two, two more on top of the one you purchased. Mm-hmm. Somebody got, got got Somebody got to the package. Somebody got to the package. Somebody got to the package. I feel like I got to buy it, though. <laughs> I got to buy it. Stop looking for handouts. Stop looking for freebies. I'm going to purchase mine. It's all good. It's all good. I, I, I like giving away my book. It's great. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, Mike. um, You know I have a color TV uh, so I can always see the Knicks play basketball, and uh, the <laughs> nice reference. The 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 bombs away New York Knicks gave the Sixers the business last night, and um, but that's not the story for me from last night. Uh, Allie LaForce from TNT, she did a report on Ben Simmons, who you and I went uh, a whole day without talking about, um, and. 
That's a shock. We, and by we, I really mean we, but I really, I really mean me when I say we, have given him the business, um, uh, you know, throughout this ordeal. But I just want to say, I want to I say this, and I don't, I don't necessarily have a take, per se, um, but I thought it was worth acknowledging um, and, and potentially discussing or, at minimum, celebrating um, progress and potentially a path forward. Uh, so he's undergoing treatment for his mental health and his back, according to Ali LaForce. Um, and that Doc Rivers told her that Simmons really broke the ice when he spoke to his teammates on Friday, and Doc called it a huge moment for the team. So he is getting professional help for his mental health and treatment on his back. And I guess it just it stuck out to me, man, because I, I just wanted to say, like, just for the record, I just want you to know. I want you to know, Michael. Like... I am not rooting for this dude to fail. I have taken no joy, no pleasure oh, in watching the professional struggles of such a talented player, um, such a gifted player, uh, a really good player, an accomplished player. Like this hasn't been this conversation hasn't been fun. Uh, it's made for incredible conversation. Incredible if you're not Ben Simmons, that is. It's made for lots of conversation. It's made for lots of fodder. It's made for lots of debate. It has been a talk show's dream come true, selfishly speaking. Right. But from a per- on a personal level, on a personal level, I want nothing more than to see against all odds. You know, we often have fun with each other about wanting you to be wrong, wanting me to be wrong. You want to say I told you so. Yeah. I, I, I have never wanted yeah. to say I told you so more than for Ben Simmons to suit up for the 76ers. I know you think he's played his last game there or, or, is, or is not long for this world. I want nothing more than for him to suit up for the 76ers and to be the best version of himself. I would love to have to eat my words about what he is or isn't because I take, I, I, there's nothing for me to gain from Ben Simmons being shipped out of town, never to be heard from again. I think I think the Sixers are correct in their stance that they're better with Ben Simmons. I think we saw some of that last okay. night. We've seen some of that this season. Yeah. He needs to be better All right. for them yeah. to be the best that they can be. All I want to say is I'm happy to hear that there may be a flicker of light at the end of the tunnel for him whether it's in Philly or elsewhere. But I want the dude to get his act together. I want him to get his mind right. I don't want him to be uh, some tragic story of somebody who could never recover from his failures. You know, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I can still hold him accountable. I can still keep it a buck about his role in this situation, about his shortcomings. You understand what I'm saying? About his fault. I can still keep it above. Yeah, I, I got you. And still yeah. want to see a happy ending. Yeah. All right. So, Mike, uh, as you know, I'm just I'm just jotting some things down here, writing some things down, just so I can get a handle on it. And, and as you know, that uh, in my newspaper days, I was not the uh, quickest on deadline. <laughs> Is that fair to say? <laughs> uh, it, it deadline. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, you once, you once, you once missed deadline from Australia. 
You missed deadline from Australia. Australia. That is, that and, is that's and, a, that's and why that's significant, boys and girls, boys and girls. Why that's significant? I had about a twelve-hour head start. I was writing about an Olympic swimmer. Uh, do I remember the Olympic swimmer's name? No, I don't. That makes it even worse. I just ooh ooh. One more thing. I got to get this right. Got to get this right. Anyway, uh, so. I'm not begging to go back to my newspaper days. I love some aspects of working for newspapers. Deadlines, I always wanted to get a little bit more. I always felt like it could be just a little bit better, a little bit better. I say that to say this. If I were working uh, for the Philadelphia Inquirer right now or working for The Athletic uh, in Philadelphia, man, I would say I got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of work to do because, Mike, I don't mind telling you this story confuses me. I'm confused by where we are with Ben Simmons. Now, I'm not confused by athletes or anybody else saying, I've got to work on my mental health. Okay. I, yeah, but I, both, more from, both you and I, I need therapy. Both you and I the other yeah. day, both of us, both of us, not just you, both of us on Monday expressed skepticism as to whether this was a convenient excuse not to play. And maybe I don't need to be skeptical. I got questions, though. I got questions. Because I'm saying, look, if, and I just wrote this down, if, if Ben Simmons, if mental health were an issue or mental health is an issue, then why is Daryl Morey going on the radio talking about, hey, buckle in, it could take four years. That was combative. That's not necessarily nurturing. Why uh, did Doc Rivers make the rounds for his podcast uh, talking about Ben and why did he get into it with Rich Paul talking about Ben? It was really combative. Why, why did Joel Embiid say what he said? Or is it just simple? Am I overthinking it? And that once they have the conversation with Ben Simmons, that stops. So in other words, are the leaks going to stop? Are, 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 are they going to stop on both sides? The leaks coming from Simmons' side on how he wants to go somewhere else. He doesn't want to play with Embiid because that, that crops his style you know, a little so, bit. That so you're, so what, so what your the questions you're asking come from a place what of happened? if it's a legitimate if it's a legitimate issue, if, if it's a legitimate issue, why were they behaving this way? I, I guess my answer to that, Michael, would be maybe yeah. even Ben Simp like okay, like let's let's go ahead and operate from a place of he really is struggling with his mental health. And again, Which if we're gonna possible. be compassionate about it. Exactly. Exactly. Because it certainly seemed like it in his play during the playoffs that his problem was between the ears. Right. And given what's happened since then, it's not a stretch. I just think he's avoiding accountability for his performance for far too long and doesn't know how to handle hard truths. Way too many people struggle with actual criticism, even though that criticism may be based in fact. So, but that, but anyway, I don't want to get off track. Maybe even Ben Simmons is my point. Maybe even he is just arriving at the conclusion that something's wrong with it from a mental health standpoint. Again, if it's if this is a legitimate issue and they're treating it as such, maybe he is just arriving at the conclusion yeah. because he never had to do any kind of self-examination because he always thought that the way he was going about it would get him traded. But now if he's actually confronted with the reality of playing in Philadelphia again, which we said as a throwaway, when they were throwing things on the court after game seven, 
as a throwaway. We said, oh, he can never play there again. And many people said, oh, he can, right. he can never play there again. Well, if that's a reality and not just, uh, you know, something to just say in passing, then that does take some sort of mental health and emotional support to play there again. It's easy for yeah, me to sit true. here and say, and again, I'm try, I've always tried to be right. fair. It's easy for me to sit up here and say, yo, man, yeah. up, man, that's the job. And I still feel that way. I still feel, I still feel that way. I still feel like if you're going to play professional basketball, you got to play professional basketball. The only way through is through. The only way is through. You got to go through it to get to it. Like he's not going, eventually he's going to have to face that crowd. Eventually he's going to have to face those demons. But in the meantime, in between time, if this is what it takes to get to that point, I'm all for it because no matter how critical I've been of the kid and, and constructively critical, if I may say so myself, I still want him to succeed. Is it, is, is it as simple as this, Mike? Is it as simple as they all felt that way about Ben Simmons? You know, Doc Rivers was mad. Daryl Morey was mad. Joel B was mad. Teammates were mad, felt disrespected. Media, you know, remember that, uh, that clip in Philadelphia? Hey, we're going to go to report. Here's Ben Simmons getting out of town. Uh, and, and the, the rushing waters and the whole thing. Like, everybody had something to say about Ben Simmons. We had stuff to say about Ben Simmons. It's as simple as this. He had a conversation with the team for the first time. He addressed them all, and lights went off for everybody. Like, everybody, yeah. I, I just imagine everybody went, oh, oh, okay. Oh, that's what, oh, that's where you are? That's what's up? Yeah. Okay, we didn't know that. And right. and I guess the story is what what was that thing? Now I know, I know we're not supposed to ask those questions. And this is why people don't like the media, but it's the life I chose. This is who I am. Sorry. I'm just built I'm built this way. This is how I'm built. As KG once said, this is how I'm built. Sorry. I'm wired this way, Big John. This is how I'm built. Uh, I want to know what happened. What was in that meeting? That was a very important meeting between Ben Simmons and his current teammates. What was said? Because whatever was said there sent him to, uh, on, a, on a path, uh, I'm hopeful, a better path, and it calmed everybody down. I haven't heard it. I don't know about you, Mike. Haven't seen a single leak about, hey, Ben Simmons wants this. I haven't heard anything from Clutch Sports, nothing from Simmons, yeah. nothing from Maury, nothing from Embiid, nothing from Doc. That conversation Changed everything. Yeah. I wonder what it was. Yeah. They seem to be, they seem to be on the path to reconciliation when we once thought those were irreconcilable differences. Yeah. Speaking of yeah, differences, as we go coming. to break. Speaking of, as we go to break, real quick. Uh, don't think you could just jump on that Sixers bandwagon. Or excuse me, on that Golden State Warriors bandwagon. Because I I, I I didn't want to have to pull the receipts about the conversation. Once upon a time, I said. I said, oh, I maybe their dynasty was just interrupted. You were like, no, they're done. They're never oh, competing for championships oh, again. Oh, yeah, you remember that conversation? I do. I do. <laughs> don't, don't think you slick and kind of backdoor your way into this you know, Warriors. Actually, like, oh, Warriors might be. Oh, actually, no, 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 no. I actually forgot about that. That's right. I said they're done. I did. I sure did. I did yeah. say that, didn't I? Yeah, you did. You said they were done winning. Winning championships. Competing for championships. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Roger, what can you tell us about the status of the Deshaun Watson investigation and specifically what it is about his case that hasn't risen to the level of, of putting him on commissioner's exempt list? Yeah, Dan, uh, you know, the first thing is um, there obviously are uh, other, um, I'll call it legal approaches that are being made either through civil cases. Uh, obviously, the police have been investigating also. Uh, we don't have all the access to that information at this point in time, and we, we pride ourselves on not interfering in that, um, being cooperative as we can to make sure we get all the facts. Uh, but I think that process is still ongoing. And until that process is ongoing and we have enough data and enough information to be able to make a determination of whether he should go on commissioner exempt, uh, we don't feel that we have that necessary information at this point. Mike Smith, let me translate that for you, man. There's a lot of... Uh information and process and access and, you know, determination and all this stuff. Let me, let me translate it for you. If somebody trades uh, for Deshaun Watson, he's going to be available to that team. That team's uh, he's available to play for that team in 2021. I think this kind of uh, makes the run, the runway is active in, in my mind, based on what I heard, the runway is active for the Deshaun Watson trade talks, it's a week from it's a week from yesterday, November second, four p.m. I think he's going somewhere. I think he's probably going to Miami. Uh, you know, we've talked about that many times. But the commissioner, in, in so many words, said we can't, I can't put him on the exempt list because I don't have the information for that. And a trade will not necessarily change that because then, uh, Mike, this is the last thing I'll say. I'll pass it to you. If he does something different, then that's weird. Because if, if, if you trade Deshaun Watson, if, you trade, if, if you're Miami, you trade for Deshaun Watson, and all of a sudden the commissioner says, oh, oh wait a minute, he's on, the, he's on the commissioner's list. Well, why didn't you do that before? You could have done that two weeks ago. You could have done it three weeks ago. So if you have information now, bring it on. Uh, otherwise, Deshaun Watson is, played, is, is free to play, honestly, he's free to play for the Houston Texans right now. Now they don't want to do that. He can play for the Texans this week or he's going to play for his new team well a couple of things i think it's a moot point i I, I think it's a moot point i think it's easy for roger goodell to sit there and say what they can't do when they don't have to do it because if if he were placed on a commissioner's exempt list while he's already effectively on paid leave then the the sentences would run concurrently so to speak Okay. Um, right. So there's that. The other thing is um, there is there are criminal investigations going on that take precedence over the NFL's investigation. In short, the NFL has not interviewed Deshaun Watson yet. So the NFL's investigation is open and ongoing. So placing him on on, on the commissioner's exemplist strictly from an optic standpoint. Even though they have free reign, 
about uh, why and when they could place you on that list. Uh, he has brought, the commission has brought authority there. Um, they have not concluded their process. I'll actually say that, all right, I, see, I, I do see where Roger Goodell's coming up from there. But in terms of um, just strictly football, keeping it to strictly football, uh, I don't think he gets traded. I don't believe he gets traded. You don't? I, I think there's a whole lot of smoke. Ooh. Nope. I think, and, I, and, I'm not, and I don't have any insight on that. I'm just saying I think there's a whole lot of smoke, but no fire, because it just it feels like there's just too many moving Why parts. Why is he getting traded? For, well, first and, foremost, first, first and foremost, I mean, today there was a quote-unquote report that he wasn't going to waive his no-trade clause to Carolina. Like, that's the thing that people just keep forgetting. Is like it's not as simple as a Stephen Ross being comfortable with the situation and Miami giving Houston what they want. Like, Houston can't trade him where they want because he's got a no-trade clause. And, that, and that's been the case all along. And all along, his destination, he's been fixated with Miami. That's no, that's no secret. Everybody knows that. And so if he's okay. only going to Miami, the only way he goes to Carolina is if Houston decides that they're going to take a lesser offer from Carolina. And it would be a lesser offer because Carolina doesn't have a two or a three. And but they could, but they, could, they can make up for that in different years, though. They can make up for that. They can. It could be a future too. It could be a future. Too. That's, that's not a problem. That's not a. But it's still a, okay. But if it's but if it's, a, right if it's deferred compensation, but if it's deferred compensation, that means it's a lesser offer than what Miami can put on the table. And also, if unless Nick Casario and Cal McNair say the only way we're ever going to trade you, Deshaun Watson, is to the Carolina Panthers. We're not trading you in the AFC. We're not giving you what you want. It's either Carolina or you sit. That's the only way that Deshaun Watson would presumably consider opening up his no trade clause. And then there's the matter of Stephen Ross, which I said this weeks ago, wants the legal issues resolved. They're not resolved as best they can be um, because the, 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 the civil accusations, the complaints, one of the terms, and this, I think this has been under-discussed, it's kind, of, it's kind of upside down from a traditional standpoint. One of the terms is confidentiality. Typically, the accused wants confidentiality. In this case, as I understand it, Watson doesn't want confidentiality. The accusers do. Tony Busby does. That's been the sticking point in terms of a right, settlement. Right. So unless and until there's a civil settlement, that's one of the dominoes that's got to fall, probably the first domino that's got to fall, there can be no clarity as it relates to the criminal probe and the grand jury and whatnot. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not trying to play one on TV either. So if Deshaun Watson were to settle civilly and then get traded, all in a matter of days at this point, which things happen quickly, deadlines for action, as somebody once said. I don't see a world in which Stephen okay. Ra- Ross trades for Deshaun Watson and he just yeah, takes the field after everything that's happened. Now, but Roger Goodell's saying it now because that's what he ha- can say right now because it's a moot point. You mean to tell me after everything that's been reported, after all the complaints that have right. been released, after all the graphic details, yes. after all the accusations, after all the alleged victims, tears in the form of a press conference, all the things we've right. seen in this moment as the all Washington that. football team is moment. skating, wait, hold yes. on, is skating 
for a, for a, for an environment of sexual assault. You mean to tell me Roger Goodell is going to let Deshaun Watson take the field under these circumstances? He's saying that because he can say that. If the rubber met the road, he's not taking the field. Mm. Didn't you tell me earlier in the show? I, I'm guessing it was about three twenty Eastern time. You said the NFL doesn't care about women. I think you're right. That's true. I think you're right. So, all right. Well, society all doesn't. Happen but the they Washington care when they're forced to care. And, and, and they, they care when they're forced to care. Right. If there's a video involved, they care. Well, if care there's now. outcry, they care. And I think there'll be a lot of outcry. Okay, there's no if, video. If, I, I suspect, I suspect, especially in Miami, there would be a lot of outcry for if the Sean Watson took the field, given all the information that the public has available yeah. to it. And the information, the information in the form of accusation. Now. Mm-hmm. It's there right now. All of those things are there right now. Here, here, here are a couple things at work. This is why I think he will be traded. I think he will be traded to the Miami Dolphins before November 2nd. <clears throat> Number one, and you hate to put it this way, but I'm going to be crass. The Dolphins are one in six. So we say, hey, this story is bigger than football, but they're one in six. And they didn't expect that. They thought they, they would continually grow. Year one of Brian Flores, uh, they finished strong. You know, four and four down the stretch, whatever it was. Year two, they went 10 games, missed the playoffs, just narrowly missed the playoffs. Here it is, year three. They're going to compete for the playoffs, and they have been awful. They are a bad football team. Mm-hmm. And I think one and six makes a lot of people desperate from the coaching staff to the marketing and business side to the owner. That's one. Two, if what you say is true, and I think it is, that ultimately Deshaun Watson wants to play for the Miami Dolphins, that's it. Why wait? I'm going to wait to the offseason to come back to what I already know from, from Houston's perspective. I'm going to wait uh, to trade for to, to trade Deshaun Watson to Miami in, yeah, in I think all this no, Carolina October talk is slash from November. Anyway. And, yeah. and here's the other thing, Mike. Uh, and, and this is also just, just the harsh truth of business. Houston has to, the, they've been given a reprieve just from a business standpoint, from a football standpoint. They had one point when, when Deshaun Watson, when he first asked to be traded, and we didn't know anything about these allegations, they had offers. If they had listened to them, they had offers from all points, and they could have traded Deshaun Watson for a huge haul. And then the allegations came, came on, and we heard about all this stuff. And like, oh, man, Houston missed that opportunity business-wise. Let's talk about business. They missed an opportunity. Now the opportunity's back. If they wait to the offseason, who knows? It may not be there again. From the perspective of the Houston Texans, and that's dangerous. I know uh, we can say that quickly. I've been saying that all along. How it's dangerous to think. I've been saying that all along. How it's dangerous to think like anybody who works for the Houston Texans, particularly uh, their owner, Cal McNair, is dangerous to think like that. But from their perspective, this is their time. They know where he's I've going. I've been saying that all along. I've been saying that for months. They know that first round there pick no from guarantees. Miami is going to be high. It's going to be high. It's going to be a top five pick. I've been saying that for months. Even with Deshaun Watson, it's probably a top five, top ten pick. That's been my... People in Houston Houston think I'm crazy, but I'm just like, you don't know what the future holds, both in terms of Deshaun and the accusations and complaints and potential charges. Who the hell knows? Or the quarterback market, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've been saying that for the longest. Um, Speaking of Cal McNair, I wish I could say I was shocked to learn that he mm-hmm. 
refer to coronavirus as the China virus. I wish I could say I was shocked. But as I've said a, a bunch of times, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It's a chip off the old block. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, Mike, uh, these comments, you're right, they're not surprising. But you know, is there anything more disingenuous than these apologies? Like, he, he's, not, like he's not sorry for saying that. That's what he... That's what he feels in these comments that 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 slur is a part of the of the talking points of the people that he admires. I mean, that that, that is a can, can I be more specific? That's Donald Trump talk. That's Donald Trump. So those are exactly. those are those are Trumpian talking points, Trumpian put downs. Uh, Cal McNair Precisely. is about that. And he said it. That's why I'm and not surprised. He thought it was funny. So. Wait, what do you mean are you are apologizing? It was said in May. People called you out on it in May, but you haven't had anything to say publicly. There's no, been no reflection. So I'd say keep your apology. I, you know, keep your apology. I would like these guys just to go away. I really would like Daniel Snyder <laughs> to lose his team. I'd like Cal McNair to lose his team. So keep the apology. <laughs> Give us a team. Let the team be run. Let, let the team be run by someone who's really about it and is truly inclusive and, this, and is actually trying to make the community better. And it's just the people that we know what they're about. I mean, most of them, you can look at their donations, their affiliations, their business practices, and they just a couple of them. It's the vast majority of these, of these uh, rich white guys owning NFL teams. Um, anyway, um, the other day, we talked about the quarterback market. Uh, the other day we talked about um, how it takes separation to bring appreciation who knows? Maybe Russell Wilson is available again, or maybe he wasn't last time, but available this offseason. And uh, as our next guest well knows, um, things haven't exactly gone well without the Seahawks star quarterback. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm going to say right here, right now, in this video, which you will throw in my face, that by week eight, week eight, I think the Seahawks will be a 500. I do believe that. I think they will get the 4-4. Four four. Oh, I do believe they, that. Look, given that they got to oh, play oh the Rams God. and the oh, 49ers. Let me, let me load up my guns. Like, oh, I mean, like, like did, you, right. did you just, I, did you just, the build-up like, set us up for a The build-up is so good. I'm going to say this right now. They can win a as much as they lose. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it's going to, though. Shotgun's after the Seahawks quarterback. Oh, they come in with Jenkins and a blitz, and they bring him down. They sack him back at the 17. Like he froze. He saw Jenkins coming, and he froze, and he goes down the fourth sack for the New Orleans defense. Shotgun snap from the 18. Here he's being chased, and he's brought down from behind. Demario Davis got him. It's fourth down and 28 
for Seattle. They got seven deep in the secondary. Drops back in the end zone after the snap. Gets away from pressure. Runs in the end zone. Stops. Plants. Throws. Far side. It's almost intercepted. Incomplete at the 20. It goes over to New Orleans on downs. And this baby is over. You know... <laughs> You Hi, know, the, 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 the stern looks on both of your faces, you know, it's it's like it's like your parents when they got your report card first and they're sitting in the house Jason, and they're just they're just waiting for you. You know what? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, you're capable I, of so much more than this, Jason. <laughs> we know you're capable of so much more. <laughs> I'm going to say this. When it got down to 4th and 28, and I was praying to the gods of Donovan McNabb and Freddie Mitchell, and I was like, my last team that I truly love, they were able to do this. They were able to do this against Brett Forrestbackers. They could get this done. And instead, Geno does what Geno had done throughout the entire game, which has looked like he had never played football before in his entire life. Uh, and got sacked after sack after sack. I've seen potatoes get sacked less. And the only benefit that I can see from all of this and my failed prediction thus far is that we are now on the Pete Carroll gets fired countdown. And I oh, wait a think okay. that, that yeah, it's the Pete Carroll gets fired countdown. Hey, it's, it's hmm. not the okay, Russell Wilson leaving, okay. it's the okay. Pete Carroll. <laughs> all right. Well, if, if Pete Carroll gets fired, uh, well, this is this, this, a two part question. Will you support the Seahawks if they if they continue to have a uh, this this path and they have a top five pick? And will you support the Seahawks if they don't fire Pete Carroll and they say, "Look, you were without Russell Wilson. We got a top five pick. It's not your fault. Are you about it?" Okay, this is what I'm about. <laughs> I'm about not wasting the prime of the best quarterback that that franchise has ever seen no insult to Matt Hasselbeck and whatever he did or did not accomplish. And at the end of the day, guys, I see this, I see this from two different angles. First off, our, the, 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 the pick is going to end up possibly going to the Jets, depending on where it is and how the team ends up ending at the end of the season. But here's the thing. We already saw the beginning. You guys were talking about divorces. We already saw what was happening in this marriage. We already saw somebody open up a hinge account. Okay, that's what Russell Wilson did. He had the hinge account open. They were living in separate apartments. They were they were they were already driving to work separately. So if he comes back to a team that is three and seven, (laughs) right? Or heaven forbid, if the Seahawks actually lose to the Jacksonville Urban Myers this weekend. Oh boy. If that actually (laughs) happens, (laughs) then then he will, without having to say go Hawks or any of his traditional, you know, company man sort of stuff, he will literally just go directly to Jody Allen and be like, it's him or me. Because we already know what Pete Carroll is going to do. And we already know what Pete Carroll is not going to be able to do. And there's no reason for Russell Wilson to continue to stay here and give Pete Carroll one more year to continue to try to play call as if he's got Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, and Marshawn Lynch. And that is how he's been calling plays. The game, the, the game calling, the play calling on Monday was absolutely atrocious. I can't tell which 70-year-old man is less aware of what is going on right now, Pete Carroll or Joe Biden. They both seem to be operating as if the Ooh, team that they're functioning with. I'm going with, right there. <laughs> as if Ooh, the team that they're functioning with hey, is what it check, used to be. 
That's really good. Check really him good. out on MSNBC. This man's a host. He can host in his sleep. Because I was going there. It's a perfect segue. Because I was going to say, Jason, I'll tell you the equivalent, the, the, the equivalent of being lower than low, the equivalent, political equivalent of being two and five is Joe Biden and his approval ratings, which are Trumpian levels. I mean, Trumpian levels low. So mm-hmm. I, I guess the question is, there are two questions. One, why? Why are we here with Joe Biden and is it anybody? It, would anybody be in this position? It's not just Joe Biden. If if, uh, if Kamala had won the, the nomination before she teamed up with Biden, if Pete Bud- uh, Buttigieg had done it, would any Democrat be in this position? So we can take Pete Carroll's record and just add a zero, and that's basically the challenge that Joe Biden is facing. He's got two out of 50 who are giving him problems, and Pete Carroll's two and five. Okay, neither record is really good because you need a full 50 in order to get anything done. And Joe Biden has shown himself to be incapable, incapable of tamping down Kirsten Sinema, Joe Manchin and the six or seven people who are hiding behind each of them in order to stymie any policy that needs to be get, get done. But it's worse than that, guys. And this has to do with his poor approval ratings. Joe Biden continues to fail the people who actually put him in an office. That's African-American voters who are mad that the George Floyd Police uh, Police Reform Act has gotten absolutely nowhere. It's, it's activists and African-Americans who are angry that Joe Biden and his team have not had their heart in filibuster reform or voting rights reform. It's all the people who are disappointed in the fact that what did we just see on Monday in a Rolling Stone article that you've got members of the January 6th insurrection that we were all on the air when it happened saying, that's right, I was having meetings with members of Congress plotting and scheming, and what does Joe Biden do? He gives another speech talking about infrastructure. You've got thieves in the temple. We have written evidence that these guys were in the lab with a pen and a pad plotting and scheming to take over this country. And anybody else who was remotely concerned about protecting this nation and constitution would have Paul Gosar and half of these guys doing a perp walk by Thursday. Joe Biden has been feckless. He has been incapable and he has been uninspiring. And I'm amazed that his approval ratings are where they are now because he has little or nothing to show for a president who promised that he would be both transformative and restorative, and he has done neither. Yeah, I'm a little unclear on how you really feel, Jason. Uh, but let me ask you a <laughs> I question. I was trying to be uh, metaphorical. Let me, <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me ask you a related question to the uh, George, Form, uh, George Floyd uh, Policing Act. Um, the, the one, there's so many current events headlines we can go with you in the little time we have, but there was one that stood out that I wanted to ask you about. It's related. I saw in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial where oh, the boy. judge is going <laughs> to allow looters, arsonists, and rioters, but not victims. Right. And I classify this as like, this is when, when the, old, the old saying is, the more things change, the more they stay the same. This is how they stay the same. It's not obvious. It's subversive. It's nuanced. It's, 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 this, is, this is institutional racism at its finest. Yes. I would love for you, as I presume you come to us from your office at Morgan State, it looks like, I would love for you to break this down so it could forever inconsistently be broke from an academic <laughs> standpoint. Tell me, tell me what this means. I'm going to break this. I'm going to break this like a, like a set bottle over the back of somebody's head in a bar fight in a 70s cowboy film. Okay, like that's how I'm gonna break this down. This is what is happening here. You have in this country 30% of the population who are essentially 
white nationalists who do not believe in functional democracy. That is the baseline that we have to operate from. And those people permeate primarily areas that have to do with the military, law enforcement, uh, and, and, and all sorts of different levels of the judiciary. So when you have a judge who basically says that Kyle Rittenhouse is innocent, and that's what he's saying here. Because we got to understand, when you say, when you eliminate the word victims, then essentially you cannot say that a crime has been committed. That's why philosophically I've always been angry at black conservatives who are like, I don't want to get into victim ideology. If there's no victim, then no crime has been committed. We've all been victimized by somebody. It doesn't mean we have to stay in victimhood. But if you eliminate victims, you exculpate people for responsibility of crimes that they have committed. He has already said Kyle Rittenhouse is innocent by taking that word out. And by claiming that the other individuals that Kyle Rittenhouse killed and that he harmed are looters and rioters, he is essentially saying that white people can perpetually engage in unmitigated violence against anyone who they see as a threat to their own order. That is the danger of having this kind of judge. If he was the only one, then we could call him an outlier. If he was the only individual who operated this way, then we could say we're surprised. But I am not surprised. This is what this country is operating under. And if we had... If we had a Department of Justice led by somebody who was not basically a, an, an absolute impotent shell of a marshmallow of a human being, who actually understood that this country is under immediate threat, not philosophical, not ideological, people who want to murder fellow Americans who simply don't agree with them, then we would have the Justice Department getting involved in this in a more aggressive way. But that's not happening. So Kyle Rittenhouse has already been declared innocent by the judge. It'll be a right. very high bar for anyone to find him guilty. And this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of these kinds of trials throughout this country. Tell me more about that stat. Just a quick follow-up. You said 30, it's 30% of Americans who don't. How did you phrase it? And I just, I just want yeah. you to just drill yeah. down on there's, that stat a little bit more. That, that about, blows my mind. There's, there's about 30% of this population. You can go back, actually, to the 1940s, and there's polling about uh, the, the number of Americans who didn't want us to go to war um, against Hitler, not because they necessarily even this is rudimentary polling that we had in the 1940s, not because they inherently didn't see him as a threat, but because they actually were in agreement with Nazi policies. Right. We've always had about 30 percent of this country that does not believe in a multicultural democracy, that does not believe that men uh, and women who are not white have an equal role to play in this country as anything other than entertainment. So that's how you can see everything from, well, I want black people to perform for me and dance for me and sing for me and play sports, but I want to penalize them for taunting because I want to make sure that I control their bodies. I have no problem with black people getting up on stage and singing to me, but I want to make sure that they don't have the right to vote. That has always been a sort of core part of this country. The problem is, right. the problem is we're seeing that those people now control 50% of Congress and 50% of the Senate and the the rest of the individuals who could do something about it don't realize it's a threat, but they will soon. That's a word with Jason Johnson. Brother, we appreciate <laughs> That's you. That's a word right there. And we gonna, we'll, lay, we'll, lay off the, uh, we'll lay off the Seahawks slander. We'll, we'll, we'll go gentle next time. Look, right? We appreciate look, it, bro. Look, 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 I just got to say, Joe Biden has, he has a DK Metcalf, okay? He has an Elizabeth Warren. He's got a Tyler Lockett. He's got an AOC. He's just not throwing the ball to them because he keeps trying to work really with the other old 70-year-olds. That's the problem. <laughs> That's really good. That's really good. Three, three yards in a cloud of dust. We don't even play that way no more, Joe. Come on. Come on, bro. That's not the game. That's Diversify not the, game the offense. <laughs>
Yeah, we're not doing 12 that. man in the box. 12 man in the box is not the way to run your offense uh, up against a team that knows exactly what you're doing. But like I said, I haven't lost hope because when Russell Wilson comes back and we start winning games, it's still going to mean Pete Carroll gets fired. And that'll put a smile on me yeah. and every Seahawks fan's face. All right, bro. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. See you guys. All right, Doc. Just the fact that he wanted to keep going. I mean, he was. they were x-raying him and... That's Charlie. I mean, he, he wants to be on this stage, and God bless him. It's, it's I hate it for him. Um, really hate it for him. I mean, it's a, it's, he's such a great person, great person and teammate. And um, I just I, – I do. I really hate it for him because I know he was really looking forward to this run with us. And... You know, Michael, I was trying to think um... – after Charlie Morton put forth a legendary performance, an abbreviated legendary performance, getting his leg fractured, and then picking up three more outs on 16 pitches, including two strikeouts. I was trying to think, what's the toughest thing I've Ooh. ever done? What's the, t- what's the toughest thing I've ever done? Like, you know, I used to get, I used to get and give that work on the mat back when I was, uh, you know, taking Krav Maga for a couple of years. Got my nose broken once. Yeah. Uh, I got my tonsils out once. Yeah. But I'm trying to think if there's anything yeah. that I could even put on a level of performing at the highest level. Like and then apo- and then he apologized afterward. Right. He apologized afterward for not going longer with a broken leg. Whew. What's the toughest thing See, you ever done, Mike? You just, you just, that, no, 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 nothing. Nothing. <laughs> not like that. Like, here's the, here's the key point. The key point you made was, he did it, and uh, at the highest level. Okay, I can tell you. Oh yeah, I sure. You know, one time I had a, you know, broken this and broken that, and I walked here and walked there. Okay, but I wasn't on a. I wasn't performing. So you're in the World right. Series, game one of the World Series, and this happens, and then you continue to perform. See, I, I think a lot of people when they go through things, when they go through some adversity, what they're just trying to do is just struggle to get through it. You just think about, okay, how do I get through this? Not how right. do I get through this and deal with an opponent? <laughs> you know, so I, I think this is uh, an incredible, this is an incredible story from, from the Charlie Braves and home I, I'm hopeful field that it advantage. inspires the Braves. There's, well, I was about to ask you, their starting pitching is now compromised. Do they get through it without yeah. him? Or do your Astros rally? And, and nobody can seem to win at home in the World Series, um, you know, since we've had home games, that is. I'm not um, going to claim, claim the Astros is mine. I'm not doing that. Now, I'm saying I'm rooting for Dusty Baker. Your pick. Hey, oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Dusty exactly. Baker exactly. makes the Astros tolerable. Yeah. That's it. That's what he – Yes. If, if not for yeah. Dusty, I ain't messing with none of y'all. None of y'all. Yeah. But, look, they've, they've already – you think about what the what the Shout Braves have done already in this in this in, in this postseason. Can they do it? Sure. They already beat the they beat the Dodgers in six. So they can just keep going back to that. We beat the Dodgers in six. Don't tell us what we can't do. Nothing's impossible for these Atlanta Braves. And I know this is like a competing narrative World Series. It's a narrative of the Astros still smarting from people calling them cheaters, even though they did cheat. They don't want people. They don't yeah. want people saying what they did. Uh, they are cheaters, so they want to. They want to show the that they can win without cheating. And then, and then the, the Braves, nickname. they just don't want to keep going over this. Atlanta sucks. 
Atlanta chokes. Oh. So they're the they're the oh, team okay. that's going to deal with all the Atlanta. The Atlanta I thought you I thought you were talking about I thought you were talking about Rob Manford and again we, we started talking about a commissioner again another empty suit here's Rob Manford you know saying I guess, I guess why would we expect him to say anything different other than yeah we have Native it. Americans Ain't. in this market. They always can find somebody to justify. It. It's like look man maybe Braves ain't as bad as Redskins or Indians. I mean I just I'm just not a fan. I'm just not a fan of naming a team. After a marginalized, a marginalized group whose lands you stole, whose people you slaughtered in general. I mean, can we just is it that can we just buy another name? Is that so hard? This sounds just like Daniel hey. Snyder. I got plenty of people who like this name. It's about honoring them. It's like, come on, man. Let's let's come up with another excuse. Hey, Mike, to do what you want to do anyway. You can always find you can always find me. If there is, I ain't seen it. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.